Welcome in to the Who Day Den. It's Taylor. We're back. It's homecoming week, everybody. It's homecoming week for Trey, for Vaughn, for Eli, for Joe, Jamar, Lael. And hopefully they come out of New Orleans with a win. And I'll tell you what, I think the fan base just over the last day, maybe two days, has finally recovered from Sunday's Ravens game. It did. That game did a number on this fan base. And I know we talked about it last episode. I also had to put my thoughts down in writing on Zach Taylor and the play calling in general. That piece is out on bingles-talk.com. I will put the link in the description so it goes in the description of this episode. So it goes straight to that uh, article. But really, my main takeaway from all of it, I just kept thinking about it, mainly because it was being uh, forced in front of me on my timeline. Everybody talking about play calling on Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday into Wednesday. I think that fans really are mad at the results, and rightfully so. This is a team, when you look at the playmakers we have on offense, that should not be struggling to score points. This should not be struggling with consistency, moving the ball down the field. But instead, a lot of fans are blaming the process. The process, the play calling is the process, the results is scoring. And we're not scoring, but I don't think... All of that is to blame on the process. And I went through that in the article. We even talked about it, Jake and I, in the last episode. And I think that process is improving over the last few weeks. And you know, we'll see whether that continues into this week. It's going to be a challenge, I think, to get a full grasp on what this offense can be if T. Higgins is not back this week. Until T. Higgins is in the fold, We've seen how big of an impact he's had when he's playing. I mean, if imagine if he did not play in that Miami game. They ran cover one shaded to Jamar the entire game, really tried to take him away, and T. Higgins made them pay on the other side. If he wasn't there for that game, it could have had a different outcome. And right now, T. Higgins, as of recording, still not at practice. I think he was on the rehab field on Thursday. So if he's not out there, It's going to be really hard to get a full grasp on what this offense can be. But you still have Jamar, Mixon, Hayden Hurst, Tyler Boyd. You still have playmakers that are more than capable of making plays. And so I'm going to be most interested in the coming weeks, not just reeling off a nice long winning streak here when we need it, but looking for some of those trends. How do we continue to get Jamar the ball in space? How do we continue to utilize Joe Mixon in the running game? Is it more... Uh, what we saw in week five, shotgun, get downhill, let him run without having to make a lot of cuts backside and less dancing, more moving forward. Maybe we see that become a trend. And I hope so, because obviously it was successful last week and we want to see that running game continue to uh, lure the defensive backs and the safeties a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage and allow things to open up over the top for our big playmakers. Now, I did have a guest this week, awesome guest. I want to uh, shout out John Hendricks. He was a guest. You'll hear the introduction here shortly to him, but a little bit of background. So him and I were uh, trying to to coordinate a time for it to work out. He is uh, our lead reader or lead writer slash reporter. So he does like credentialed media member. I mean, he's at the practices and locker room and stuff like that. So he was gracious enough with his time to be able to record a little bit before practice on Thursday. So I went a little bit with more quick hitters um, because I knew he needed to get back to work, but he was awesome with his time. We had some issues with the downloading of the audio file 
And I mean, it was it was a nightmare, but John was awesome with that. And not only that, he answered a lot of questions I had, because I think coming into this game, I feel like obviously more so than the Ravens and more so than the Steelers, because those are division rivals. I don't feel like I know a lot about the Saints team. This isn't the Sean Payton, Drew Brees team of old, obviously, and they're a little bit different. And so I truly appreciated this time and honestly learned a lot from John. So we'll get right into that. And joining me today is John Hendricks, lead reporter for Saints News for Fan Nation at SI.com. Thank you for joining me, John. I know we've had some some scheduling issues here. You're a very busy guy actually at the practice facility as you record. Is that correct? Yep. Over here in the uh, the media room. So no worries, man. I, I'm glad we could make it work. Yes, absolutely. So I have loads of questions for you because as is the case with most of these teams, I don't watch many of them unless they're playing the Bengals and I only know about their fantasy relevant players. So I am looking forward to learning a little bit more about the Saints from you. And I think it all starts with the injury front because you guys have some really key players that are kind of up in the air right now. So what's the latest you're hearing on those as far as Jameis Winston and Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, Marshawn Lattimore, big pieces? Yeah, let's start with the good. I think, um, you know, as far as Chris Olave goes, he's in the concussion protocol, kind of in the final stages there. We saw him at practice on Wednesday, working off to the side. So he looks like he should be able to return on Sunday. So that's the good news. Did see Jameis Winston back, um, you know, talking to Dennis Allen yesterday, talking to that basically this is kind of part of the plan and the rehab process and stuff is getting him back on the field. I'm not so sure that we'll see him on Sunday. We'll we'll kind of have to see how things play out. You know, was a limited participant of practice uh, on Wednesday. Did not see Michael Thomas or Jarvis Landry or Marshawn Lattimore. Of those three, the most concerning would be Marshawn Lattimore uh, dealing with that abdomen injury. Doesn't sound as optimistic on that one. I don't believe he's going to be at practice today. Uh, but, of course, we'll have to see how it works out on Thursday. But, you know, that would be a huge loss for this team just because, you know, he would command the number one matchup with Jamar Chase and they would have to do a lot of different moves uh, out there just to try to, to combat against him and such. But, you know, Michael Thomas, a toe injury. Um, we hadn't seen him yet. Jarvis Landry, an ankle injury. Didn't see him yesterday on on Wednesday for sure, but he's one of the guys that hurt his ankle against the Panthers, um, gutted it out against the Vikings. I'd asked DA about him if he had suffered any type of setback, but, you know, just hasn't been able to get back on the field. But, you know, Thomas, it was out there that he should be back for this one. We'll see if he makes it back on the field because that would be a huge uh, boost for the Saints team. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a, it's a lot of question marks. And like I said, it's to, to key players, not necessarily just role players, but guys that make an impact week in and week out for New Orleans. So definitely something to monitor there for fans of both teams. Now I want to talk about Alvin Kamara too, because he kind of got back on track last week, returning from the rib injury. He had 29 touches over 200 yards, kind of a vintage Alvin game there. Do you expect that type of usage again this week, no matter who's playing quarterback, whether it's Jameis or whether it's Andy Dalton, or was that kind of a, an anomaly to see him get almost 30 touches in the game? I, I think, I don't know to say it's an anomaly, but you know, the fact is Dalton is asked and, and I mean, Kamara being at hundred percent strength or, you know, whether he was or wasn't with the rib injury, he felt good. That's all that mattered. And so, um, look, he's a guy that when you can get him involved like that and lean on that offense line, who is much better against the run than they are in pass protection, you know, this is a, a good formula to win. You know, they'll mix it up with Mark Ingram some. You see the Taysom Hill usage, obviously. And so with the concern that we have, I think, is, 
you know, Dalton knows how to find him out of the out of the backfield a little bit better than James Winston does. And that's something that Winston had said he worked on during the offseason, but we really haven't seen it too much of him using uh, Alvin Kamara. So, uh, again, those are one of those things where if you see Winston, probably not as much of a factor in the receiving department. If you see him, uh, Dalton, I think that's a sure bet that you can see him do a little bit more in the receiving department. I think he should get at least 15 carries uh, against the Bengals, you know, and, and they like to run that screen game. They like to get Alvin out in space. He tends to be a mismatch no matter who you put on him. So, mm-hmm. look, it could be one of those things where you just have to see how things unfold, but I, I think it does directly get affected by who plays quarterback in this game. And another guy on that offensive side of the ball that I want to talk about, and hopefully you can educate me on a little bit more is Taysom Hill, because from my viewpoint, he's just like a weird, weird player. There's no one else like him in the NFL because the Swiss army knife uh, moniker kind of gets thrown around, but he, that is an appropriate descriptor for exactly what he is for that team. Cause he has the ability to pass the ball, run, catch, make special teams tackles. He really does it all. He's 32 years old, too. I know he got a late start, but still, it's not like he's uh, mid-20s. It's just It all just adds to the weirdness of it. He's had a couple so-so games. Then he's had two really solid outings, week one, and then again last week, nine carries, 100-plus yards. How has New Orleans deployed him? Is, is there certain formations or certain situations where they're typically looking to say, this is Taysom Hill time? Yeah, look, I think they've rolled some interesting formations this year, the first that we've really seen it, where – you know, they usually would bring in a jumbo package with an extra offensive lineman. But, you know, you've seen a couple of times where they bring in extra offensive linemen, two extra offensive linemen, and they use just tight ends on there. Right. And then, you know, it's a running play typically is what happens. So you have seven offensive linemen on the formation. You have a couple of tight ends. You have J.P. Holtz, who's kind of like a tight end fullback sometimes. And those are typically vintage Taysom moments where, you know, OK, he's going to run a QB power. But, you know, as we saw against Seattle, they let him throw the football and it ended up working well mm-hmm. when finding Adam Troutman so really he's one of those things sometimes where you just know it's coming and just depending on who blocks who on the offensive line you can find success I mean there's obviously a lot of, of ways they can get him involved offensively I think you saw it against the Falcons early on this season and you know and obviously he got hurt a little in between and that's kind of where things have uh you know, shifted a little bit, but, you know, getting him back involved last week was a winning formula. You know, anytime you can pound it out on the ground and dominate the time possession with, you know, Pete Carmichael calling the plays, it's a win-win type thing. And you kind of mentioned it, he'll run routes, he'll do uh, special teams on punt formation, kick formation. He's even returning some kicks because they needed him to, um, and he just volunteered. But it's just crazy how much he affected the game in just 23 snaps last week. I think that's the big thing is that, you know, a lot of his explosiveness can come, and they're not afraid to let him throw it. And, you know, he can catch passes as well. So he's a, a nightmare to defend against. And sometimes you can get again, get him, you know, um, just depending on what kind of push you get from that defensive line. Yeah, and, and Taysom Hill, not necessarily on the same level of these players I'm about to mention, but this really is the third week in a row the Bengals defense will be facing a player that I think you could say they're one of one. As far as Tyreek Hill a couple weeks ago, there's really nobody in the league like Tyreek Hill and what he can do and how well he can do what he does. And then last week, Lamar Jackson is a one of one quarterback. There's really no one like him. And then Taysom Hill, a little bit different in how he's used and, and whatnot, but there is no other player that gets the type of usage he does. So I'm very interested to see how he impacts the game. As we switch to the defensive side of the ball, can you tell me a little bit about the the New Orleans Saints defensive scheme? Because that's a lot of talk in Bengals land is 
these defenses are going cover two and using some variation of it and uh, zones to try to take away the deep ball and limit Jamar. However, I did see some clips where it looked like Lattimore was one-on-one with Justin Jefferson a couple weeks ago and kind of had an up and down time there. What do you expect to see the Saints rely on defensively to try to slow down the Bengals? Yeah, look, I think the first piece of that is is seeing if Marcus May comes back because I think he's been very missed back there on the back end. You know, they had him playing. He played extremely well against the Falcons. He's been hurt with a rib injury. They need him back because at the free safety position, he's done some really good things for the secondary. You know, you have uh, you can do free safety or strong safety to Tyron Matthew. Obviously, the communication back there is super important for those two. And so I think that's been kind of what's missing, whether you look at the success Justin Jefferson has had or just in the other ones that, you know, the safety help over the top has been a, an opportunity, um, you know. And, and so this is a week where they go in. They like to roll guys like Bradley Roby in the slot. He might have to play outside because of the Lattimore injury, but, um, you know, we'll just kind of have to see how that unfolds, but New Orleans likes to use a lot of rotation, um, especially on their defensive line. You know, they don't have like guys like Cam Jordan who play hundred percent of the snaps or Marcus Davenport. They like to mix it up on the edge. They like to mix it up on the interior. They have two excellent linebackers. They do like to roll a lot of nickel formation, um, you know, and, and they can play some cover, cover two zone. They like man coverage as well. So they like to, you know, mix it up a little bit, to kind of confuse the defense and look, it all centers around that pass rush. They have some really good ones in Marcus Davenport and Cam Jordan. Pete Warner is an excellent linebacker. Um, he's really come into his own in his second year. Demario Davis is kind of the, the heartbeat on defense, if you will. And so, look, I think the biggest thing is they don't want to have the big plays happen, which happened too many times against the Seahawks. And the way you can do that is, is getting that safety help and having that communication. So I expect them to play a, a lot of different looks defensively. It's not just one traditional one, but look, they, they've seen the film on Joe Burrow. They know how talented he is. They know he can escape the pocket. They know what Jamar Chase is going to bring. And it's not just him. It's T Higgins, obviously, um, you know, and Tyler Boyd, there's a whole bunch of weapons the Bengals have. So the big thing is, can their pass pro hold up? Yeah, I, I forgot about Pete Warner. Uh, this is going to be a heavy Ohio State alum game, it looks like, <laughs> on both sides of the field there. Um, but yeah, you mentioned the defensive line, and Cam Jordan obviously is a is a baller out there. How does he typically win? Is he a power guy, a finesse guy? Uh, again, I don't watch Cam Jordan other than I know the name and I know he's good. Uh, you mentioned Marcus Davenport as well. Is this is, are these two guys that win their one-on-one matchups, do they rely on stunts and blitzes and things like that to confuse the offensive line? Because we have seen the the Bengals' offensive line improve in recent weeks, but they still are working on kind of gelling and the communication issues they had earlier in the year. Yeah, look, Davenport's a guy that uses a lot of power, and he just literally will bully somebody into the opposing quarterback. I mean, this guy's a terror when it comes to – rushing the passer and so he just does so many things to affect the game and you know whether they try to double him that might not be the smartest move because cam jordan does use a lot of finesse they use stunts they use delayed blitz from the linebacker bringing safety blitzes just kind of disguise that a little bit and you know cam jordan is a guy that can win a one-on-one battle i mean you know bringing in uh last week going uh, against the Seahawks, the rookie uh, offensive tackle, one of those guys that had not really given up much. And Cam Jordan just found ways to, to be able to do it. They talk about hand placement a lot on the defensive line. Um, they look at, you know, not necessarily just using the power rush moves, but just the finesse to get it done. And look, they got 
some great guys behind them, you know, Malcolm Roach on the interior in addition to Ed, David Onyemata and Shai Tuttle. Um, they also have guys like Tano Passignon and Carl Granderson who are kind of underrated, if you will. And so, um, you know, they're going to do a lot of rotational work and try to do the things that are going to get them results in that aspect. And so, look, they have hit a little bit of a, 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 a struggle in the middle of the year well I say middle of the year but the early part of the season um you know getting after the quarterback but it's kind of come together recently and them finding success is just a matter of time because you know they are going to affect the quarterback in more ways than one and and I wanted to end it on a negative note for New Orleans and a positive note for Cincinnati of course is there a weakness that you've seen in this defense either you know a certain side of the field a specific defender somebody that's going uh, been getting picked on that you think the Bengals could potentially aim to exploit this week in New Orleans? Yeah, I think too, is it's got to be the corners. It'd be Paulson Adebo and Bradley Roby. Um, you know, look, I, I think Adebo, he, he was obviously the, the media's uh, training camp MVP. Uh, I would defend that for sure, that he looked outstanding. He had the high ankle injury that he's dealing with. Um, and so, Look, that was a thing where he just hasn't looked himself coming back yet. And, and I think he's coming. But, you know, look, he's a guy that's a little bit more physical um, off the line and physical in coverage. You can get him on some holding calls. You can get him on some DPIs. I mean, there are things. It just depends on how loose the officiating is going to be, which we know has uh, been kind of suspect on every <laughs> level, if you will. And then, yep. you know, Bradley Roby. I mean, there were some times they, he got lucky because DK Metcalf really beat him coming out of the slot and, um, you know, Metcalf couldn't get the, the, the touchdown pass. So otherwise it would have been a different story. So I think that's the two areas where, look, they're both really talented and smart, but look, if you catch them off guard and you don't have that safety help over the top that I was talking about earlier, that's going to be where Cincinnati can really attack and win. You know, I think if anything, their tight end game can, can kind of benefit a little bit here because we've seen the Saints give a lot of stuff underneath. Um, and short stuff to the tight ends. That's usually where you kind of have some success there. But look, this team, ultimately, they'll give up yards. They'll give up plays. But when it counts in the red zone and uh, just in those those bend-don't-break mentality, that's really where they tighten up is that not giving up as many scores when they do get in the red zone, forcing field goals and, and such. But, you know, look, I think if Burrow is going to attack anybody, Adebo and Roby would be the two that they look at. All right, I'm going to ask you to fast forward here. We're pretending we're recording this episode after the game. New Orleans has won the game. John, tell me how does or how did New Orleans win the game over the Bengals this week? <laughs> Maybe they torched Eli Apple. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's that's obviously one. No, I mean, that's obviously a big, subtle, uh, big, no, I say subtle, but big focus there. And, uh, you know, the Bengals have two great guys there that played in New Orleans for a long time, Trey Hendrickson and Von Bell covered them. They're great guys. And so, look, the way they did it is they ran the ball effectively and they were limited, uh, limiting the Bengals with the time of possession. I think those are the two best friends to help them win. And look, they don't have to be perfect. They've played good football without shooting themselves in the foot. Um, and that's been the biggest thing is don't turn the ball over and, you know, don't have those those stupid penalties that put you in a second and 20 and, and you know, third and 15, if you will. And, um, you know, as long as they play that complete game, I think that, you know, they can come out with a win. And what I'll tell you is one of the guys that, you know, aren't really on the radar right now is Rashid Shahid. He's a guy that's going to be returning now with Deontay Hardy dealing with that foot injury or toe injury, if you will, that, that could sideline him for the rest of the year. He's a very explosive returner. So uh, I know the Bengals might not have a lot on him, but 
you know, I think he can flip some field position. So that's something I I definitely keep an eye out on. Now the, the spread right now is Cincinnati minus one and a half over under 43. All in all, are you anticipating this to be a close, low scoring affair the way Vegas is? I don't know if I'd say it's going to be a low scoring affair, but, you know, I think it, it could be a close game. Um, you know, look, and a lot of people are here because of the LSU support. Those ties run deep with Joe Burrow and, and Jamar Chase and, and not just them. But, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see the dynamics in the Superdome with those guys at, at the helm. I think there's been some concern that, you know, LSU fans that are here might be cheering for both sides. And that might be a bit, a bit of, of a weird thing. But. Look, I feel like, you know, that really that things can can go either way here. I expect this. I don't want to say shootout is the word because I know both offenses has had their fair shares of struggle. But, mm-hmm. you know, something uh, I think the first team to 30 probably wins. I think that's probably fair. Um, but I expect this to probably be a field goal uh, or less in, in how this comes out. I'm going to get you out of here with a, a more fun question. So Eli Apple, we mentioned it before, had a very unpopular tweet this past January <laughs> saying that New Orleans is the dirtiest and smelliest city. So I have never been to New Orleans, so I cannot confirm nor deny that. But I thought maybe an even more personal shot was the attack on the food, called it the worst food ever. You got to tell me as someone that's in New Orleans, that that certainly cannot be true, can it? No, it's, it's definitely not true. I don't know what he was thinking. And I mean, I've lived here in South Louisiana for, oh my gosh, 25 plus years. So I don't know what he was thinking on that one. But clearly, if he wanted to get a rile out of the fan base, he sure did. And so I don't get what people have against it. But, you know, they can make just about anything taste really good. Yeah, Jamar Chase did say yesterday in an interview that he was looking forward to getting a voodoo roll. Are you familiar with a voodoo roll? Yeah. Okay, I didn't know how common that was, but I saw a picture of one. I was like, that, that does look rather delightful, uh, but I've never had one. So hopefully Jamar doesn't have too many of those before <laughs> Sunday. Uh, John, thank you so much for joining. Uh, packed a lot of information here into 20 minutes or so. Uh, I know you got you got work to get to. So I appreciate you yep. jumping on the pod and giving us some insight. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. All right. Thank you. John is a great guest and uh, from by all accounts, from my interactions with him, a great dude as well. Appreciate his time. So you heard him talk a little bit about those injuries. I think on both sides, uh, it's going to be interesting. T. Higgins could be probably the the biggest, most impactful player that we might be without on our side. And the Saints are dealing with some injuries as well. That, that, those injuries that we talked about, those are, I know I mentioned it, but those are legitimately game-changing type of players. I know Michael Thomas isn't in his prime still, but if they're without Michael Thomas and without Jarvis Landry, and maybe without Chris Olave, although it sounds like he's playing, and without Marshawn Lattimore, and without Marcus May. I mean, the list goes on and on. Those are guys that make impacts on their team. It's not like they're losing, you know, our version would be if Mike Thomas or Stanley Morgan's out, you're like, okay, they have a role to play, their depth piece, we'll move on without them. This is like us adjusting to not having T. Higgins week in, week out, or if we didn't have Tyler Boyd, how that would impact our team, or Jesse Bates or Von Bell, like those guys, those caliber of players that are good players that have an impact on the game. So those are going to be some things to really watch over the next couple of days to see if any of those guys get back into practice, whether they're questionable or doubtful to play on Sunday, obviously have an impact on the game. An episode of the Who Day Din would not be complete without also mentioning Vivid Picks, though. They are a awesome group to partner with here sponsoring the show here and i have a link that you can access and i will put that in 
my Twitter post that I put out there also in the episode details as well. If you use that link, you do get a deposit match up to $100. And the cool thing about the Vivid Picks app, I think, is you're able to make player props and picks on those guys, whether it's guys on your fantasy team, whether you want to focus on just the Bengals because that's who you root for. It's a lot of fun, and you it's one of those few apps that you can use in Kentucky. So a lot of those other um, gambling apps, you can't really use, like DraftKings, you can't use. I don't think you can do their um, player prop things. You can just do the lineup stuff, the DFS. But a lot of those other ones do not work in Kentucky, and VividPix is one that does. Now, you might notice if you look out there, VividPix does not work if you are in Ohio or Indiana, but I know, you know, we're in the tri-state area. How often are you only in Ohio and never travel to Kentucky or Indiana? It's probably not that common. Also, I learned that another interesting thing, if you uh, deposit X amount of money and you get your deposit match, those de- the, the deposit matches sent to you into the app via Vivid Bucks and Vivid Bucks are able to be used in any state, if that makes sense. So head to Kentucky, make your deposit, and uh, then you can head back home and use your Vivid Bucks deposit match that is there to make your player props picks. But I am going to try something, I think, uh, hopefully Saturdays. We'll see whether I get one out this week. It's kind of a busy weekend. Uh, my son's first basketball game Saturday morning. He's got practice Friday evening. So we'll see what we get out there. But I kind of want to start doing some video stuff and just put it on my social media and talk through the vivid picks uh, picks of the week, because it's really hard to do these on Wednesdays and Thursdays when there's not a whole lot of player props out there. And I've mentioned before Saturday, Sunday morning, there's a lot more out there. Fun ones too, like longest reception or uh, longest rush or how many you know field goals Evan McPherson's making. It's, it's more than just rushing yards, receiving yards, that sort of thing. So I'll probably try to start doing that. If not this week, then next week. So you might hear a little bit less actual vivid picks being made on each episode. You'll have to look out on Twitter for that. We'll see whether that comes to fruition. That's the plan for now. And uh, again, we'll see whether we actually get to executing the plan as it is constructed. But anyways, thank you for listening. It's a big week for the Bengals, a chance to even their record at three and three and really kick off a winning streak here, considering the upcoming schedule, much needed winning streak through October and November. Thank you for listening. As always, Bengals fans, boo day.